and it seems like every bad story with PCS starts with an athlete uh, not reporting uh, symptoms because they wanted to keep playing. And now some excellent researchers have done work on this, including Emily Crocious and Christine Baugh and lots of folks that have sort of taught us that, you know what, we have proven that we can teach people signs and symptoms, but it doesn't change their behavior because as of now, the pressures are too much to, to stay in or you know people just don't appreciate when they're concussed because they're concussed. And so it's probably too much to ask if you want a perfect system of everyone coming off the field when they're concussed to ask athletes to self-identify every time. We also know that coaches don't see it. So the what, what the breakthrough with Team Speak Up is that um, we're actually uh, enabling teammates to help identify concussions on the field. Uh, this is Dr. Chris Nowinski, CEO of the Concussion Legacy Foundation, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week I talked to Dr. Chris Nowinski, who is frequently credited with being the person most responsible for bringing the concussion and CTE crisis to the forefront of global consciousness. Over a decade of his aggressive advocacy has reshaped how we understand, research, and treat the effects of brain trauma and how we play sports from professionals down to children. Dr. Nowinski is the founding CEO of the Concussion Legacy Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to solving the sports concussion crisis through education, advocacy, and research. Chris co-founded the VA Boston University Concussion Legacy Foundation Brain Bank and the BU CTE Center, where he serves as the outreach, recruitment, education, and public policy leader. He received his PhD in behavioral neuroscience at Boston University School of Medicine and is the author of the book Head Games, as well as 25 medical journal articles. Dr. Nowinski's passion for concussion prevention stems from his own experience with post-concussion syndrome while wrestling as Chris Harvard in the WWE. This is where we will start today's interview before moving on to the Concussion Legacy Foundation's Team Up Speak Up initiative, which occurs on Tuesday, September 12th. So, Chris, can you start off by uh, just talking about your own personal experience with concussions uh, when you were in the WWE? Yeah, so concussions uh, ended my career at the WWE, unfortunately. So I, uh, you know, played football my whole life, or my whole life, for high school and college, and then uh, had some concussions there. I now know, but nothing that was ever diagnosed or that I reported. And then uh, joined WWE and, and got a couple of undiagnosed, three undiagnosed concussions that I can remember before a fourth um, ended my career uh, during a tag team match. Got kicked in the head and, and for the first time had symptoms that just didn't resolve right away and had a headache lasting for ended up being years and other problems. Uh, but of course, like most athletes, I, I, I lied about it for five weeks and made it so bad I had to retire. So what led you to lie? I mean, I did a, a similar thing that led to my second impact syndrome, but what was like, I don't know, the motive behind lying about your symptoms when you were at the professional wrestling level? So I remember walking into the, the training room, the, the the next show, and feeling terrible and like feeling like I was going to pass out when I was walking up a flight of stairs. And so I was like, I should probably tell the trainer. I walked into the training room and I got cold feet because I looked around at what I can, thought some of the other guys were going through. Like I saw 
somebody putting on their knee braces because they'd had some bust, you know, some torn ACLs. And I saw somebody, you know, with, with scar in the back of their neck because they'd had a neck fusion. <laughs> and I just, you know, I felt mostly fine except for this nausea and this headache. And I was like, you know what? I, don't, I if those guys can wrestle through that, I can wrestle through this. Uh, and so I just, I just walked out, <laughs> turned around and walked out. So there were trainers though there. That's yeah, there was a, there was a trainer, and uh, had I been honest, uh, <laughs> things might have changed. So what what year was this? Just in terms of like the progression of concussion awareness. Uh, Two thousand three. So that was like so this, yeah, before anyone was really saying anything about this kind of stuff. Before you were born, practically. Yeah, no, it was early. Cool. Um, so. What were some of like your lowest points during the recovery from this particular concussion or series of concussions? Oh, gosh, um, I I just remember getting into this zone where you know, luckily WWE kept me uh, employed in the sense that they they honored my contract and they had they they tried to help me uh, do some publicity events like uh, for charity like get out smack down your vote and and reading stuff and so. I would I would get get out once in a while, but um, most of the time I just would like uh, my head would hurt so much I'd find myself like when I'm home alone for a stretch of five days like trying to go to bed at two o'clock, <laughs> so my head would stop hurting and waking up in the middle of the night and just keeping these crazy hours and and you know being not in control of my emotions and being mean to people and being miserable to be around and right. just became sort of like this isolated, um, depressed guy. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously a, a tough thing. So what was the catalyst that kind of inspired you to become an advocate for concussion awareness and to write the book Head Games? So the, the catalyst was, uh, you know, Dr. Robert Cantu, who's uh, I owe, owe a ton to. He was my eighth doctor that I saw uh, when WWE was trying to find you know, me somebody who could help, help me appreciate what was going on and maybe get me back to being healthy and working again. And it was, I remember the moment very distinctly that, you know, the previous seven doctors had never asked me really any additional questions about my history. And, you know, it asked me, have you had concussions before? And my answer was always no, because I just assumed it wasn't a concussion until it was diagnosed. And the doctor told you you had one. So he was the first guy to change the question to, have you ever had these symptoms after getting hit in the head and listening to symptoms of concussion? And I was like, yeah, those sound really familiar. Yeah. <laughs> like, sure. I definitely remember these things happening. And he goes, okay, do you ever, you know, tell anyone, Hey, do you ever you know, take some time off? And I'm like, no. And he goes, okay, so here's what I'm starting to think. What's, what's happening here is that you, you played through so many concussions and you lied about this last one so much that you, the additional trauma has developed post concussion syndrome. And if you'd just taken some time off and let the injury resolve. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Why wouldn't someone have told me this in the last 20 years when I was out there banging my head? You know, I, I, I'm happy to take a couple of days off. if It's going to help me prolong my career. And so it was that sort of moment that made me go, maybe there's something here that, that more, more to this than we realized. So I started asking other teammates I played with when I'd seen them at like football tailgates and say, did you know that every time we saw stars or every time we blacked out, <laughs> that was a concussion? They're like, no. And do you know that there could be long-term effects and you're supposed to arrest them? No. And I was like, okay. So that led to me um, trying to figure out what else I don't know 
and actually going to the Harvard Medical School Library, getting day passes and reading every concussion article ever. <laughs> and that that turned into the book. So I was like, wow, there's this whole story to be told that guys like Dr. Cantu knew, uh, but other people didn't know. And had been around. We'd known this stuff, some of the things for a hundred years, but it sort of had disappeared from the public conversation. And that now concussions were suddenly okay. And right. so. Um, that that drove me to to say, you know what, I'm in on a secret here, and I got to share that secret with with other athletes. Well, I know people like myself are very um, appreciative that you did take that step and got that information out there to everyone, um, and including the NFL. So, like, what was it like, uh, kind of going up against the the NFL giant, not against them, but just at least bring their attention to the issue? Yeah, it was it was an interesting. Um, interesting path because i remember like when i was early days talking to people about it i remember talking to one of my old athletic trainers from high school and and she had mentioned um that she's like oh uh tracy bogart she's like oh you know the nfl has started a committee on this they're doing a bunch of research like i'm sure they're gonna they're gonna help us figure this thing out and then i started like reading that research and i was like whoa like this is really bad research like the, um, you know, I sort of was starting to see the public comments made by people like Elliot Pellman or Ira Kasson and, and realizing that they didn't buy into this stuff and that, you know, not only did they ignore the literature, they were trying to create their own literature that wasn't good science that, that would help sort of protect not taking care of concussions and not talking about long-term effects. And so, you know, I realized that, they, I mean, the big tobacco analogy for the NFL is absolutely appropriate. I mean, if you actually walk, you read the books on how big tobacco uh, tried to keep people smoking cigarettes by lying about the consequences, uh, the NFL did a lot of those tricks, forming committees, finding doctors, funding bad studies, attacking researchers, sowing doubt, talk, you know, creating a level of proof that was unfeasible, um, so anyway, so that uh, the more I read, the more I realized that the NFL was really the problem here. And it was the NFL who had to change if we wanted to change our culture. And that's why I started focusing on them. Well, I think you've done a great job to this point. H- how do you think the NFL has responded, you know, since, you know, bringing this to their attention? Uh, most of the time, very, very poorly. Um they have let the NFL Player Association negotiate some changes into the game that I think are better for the game, and no one's complaining about these days. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't like the NFL is magnanimous and saying, "Oh gosh, we're wrong and we're going to change these things." I mean, I think we have to give more credits for the to the Player Association for making those changes. Um, but I think today they're even getting more. You know, at the beginning it was sort of you know, dumb denial, and then they got smarter in their denial. And now, you know, if you read the ESPN article last week by the Fainer brothers talking about how the NFL is trying to, uh, you know, have has put out a, a new $100 million for research that they're going to control because they, they you know, defaulted on their, their grant promise to the NIH because the NIH didn't do the research that they wanted them to do. You start to realize that they're not an honest broker in a situation. They're going back to their old ways and they're getting more sophisticated. They're, they're not only putting more money behind it to try to swing the research in their, in, in, to their favor, um, but they're also, uh, their talking points, if you follow them like I do and read every article ever, uh, are getting more coordinated in terms of what they have their doctors saying, what they have their owners saying. 
um, trying to make this argument that, you know, the problem with football is really CT. It's not as much concussion. <laughs> and uh, CT is much more unique to football than concussion. Concussions happen in lots of sports, but no sports, you know, or very few sports expose nearly every player to almost a thousand hits to the head a year. Um, they're trying to make this argument about seat, about concussions, about if we had better concussion diagnostics, we had better helmets, everything would go away. And the reality is it won't. So they're, 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 I think just taking the, unfortunately, I think they're taking the, the more of the business approach to this of how do they protect assets versus how do we actually make it so football players don't develop CTE. Right. And protect the players. So, I mean, I haven't, I didn't read that article that you mentioned, but I'm going to try to put that up in the show notes. Uh, but like, wh- how do you? Why do you think like no one says anything about this, or like people say something, but like nothing changes? Like, is it, they just have so much power, or like? How- yeah, I mean, people in the media, you know, very powerful people in the media, have told me, look, you have to appreciate that the NFL is the most profitable, uh, you know, media enterprise enterprise out there. I mean, if you are one of the major media outlets and you can own the games and make money from selling advertisements on the games. Um, you know, that's the best way to make money and it's prestige and it's all these things. So, you know, we, you know, we have to look back and look at, there's been incredible work done by the New York times, incredible work done by HBO real sports, um, on changing this. And that's where most of the great investigative journalism has come from. Uh, ESPN has done some, but you have to remember that ESPN good, like the NFL forced ESPN to drop out of the league of denial, uh, <laughs> um, move, uh, documentary, like literally just twisted their arm and said, we're not going to do business if your name is on this thing. And so we, the NFL does this all the time to people there. I've been, we've been turned down for things because people are worried they're going to lose access to locker rooms. They're going to lose access to getting highlights. Um, the NFL is a big business and they throw their weight around to protect it. And so that's why you don't see the great journalism coming from, you know, the NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox, world right. you see it coming from from outlets who don't make money off of football it's an interesting dynamic what do you think will be like do you think can you think of like one scenario that would change that dynamic or uh, <laughs> um i don't think there's an obvious scenario i mean i think we just got to continue to you know share our, our our you know our work with the outlets who have an incentive to tell the truth and aren't worried about what the NFL is going to think and just work around the fact that we have to understand, you know, at that level, sports is a business and media is a business and, you know, just, you, you can make it happen. It's just not going to be as easy as you want it to be. Like right. no one's going to give us free advertisements saying bad things about the NFL. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, we're not, it's, it's not going to happen. Like, you know, so, so under, it under, is what it is. Yeah. I, I get it. It's not a, it's a tough battle. Um, so I know, since you struggle with PCS and the concussion, you kind of talk about how the concussion legacy foundation kind of came about and what uh, resources you guys provide to people struggling with PCS. Sure. So the foundation was formed in officially in 2007 uh, by Dr. Cantu and I, um, and the initial focus was really, you know, I had an early appreciation that, the concussion part of the reason concussions were buried in the public is because it's a really hard story to tell because most people in your empirical experience are going to get better and get better pretty quickly and so what's the big deal about 
long-term effects from concussions. And even if you get PCS, either you get better or you disappear. And so people just don't see you suffering every day because we like to do it alone. Um, so I knew CTE and brain studying brains because that provided a picture and that gave you a, a story to tell. That would be the way we could get concussions to change. Even if we think the connection between concussions and CT is loose and it's really more on repetitive hits, um, there's still value there in, in making athletes safer. And so we started the we we said we're going to actually form a, a formal brain bank to con, you know continue the work that I first learned about when Pettitamalo did two football cases and I and I got him case three and four and then um, parted with BU to to progress the work to 430 brains later. Um, but so that's where the foundation started, and we got we were able to continue that work and you know keep it the media and get Congress involved and all these things that happened in 2007, 2010. Uh, and then once once we sort of got that research program uh, up and running uh, to the point where it wasn't it wasn't much of a chance it could fail, then I we focused on okay now how do we take what we're learning and protect people and so. Um, the foundation formally then started taking what Dr. Cantu and I had done sort of individually by writing books and being advocates of, we got to take much, much better care of concussions. Uh, we turned that into advocating for policy changes. So, you know, we helped push some of these laws that have been passed in all these states to protect athletes so they don't have to go back into the game the same day. We, we pushed the Massachusetts law. Um, we led the coalition for that one in 2010. Um, and then now we, we're really focused on helping people get through PCS. So the, probably you know, you're aware and I'm aware that when you get it, there aren't a lot of great internet resources to, to help you appreciate that you're not alone. That people have been through this. You can get through this. And so we just launched in July, now that I have a really great uh, marketing team, um, we, 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 we taped Dr. Cantu sharing his knowledge and experience with us and got a bunch of individual people from P with PCS telling us what got them through and have created the PCS resources section of our website at concussionfoundation.org that we're, we'll keep growing and hopefully help people realize that while it's a battle that, that stinks and you'd rather not be there, it will end and you can get through it or you will get to a place where you can, you can live with it even if you're not who you were, you know, who you are is good enough and, and, and you can get through it. I'll be sure to link that up in the show notes. Is there anything like any common themes that come up in these uh, testimonials, I guess, with PCS in terms of like what seems to help the most or like is the most effective in treating or is it kind of a case by case? It's sort of two things. It's, it's, or I, I'd say three, you know, it's, it's realizing that you're not alone, that, that what you're going through, people have gone through before um, and that you're not crazy. <laughs> I mean, I think that validation is really step one that this is a, this is a real thing, and you know, science doesn't have their arms wrapped around it, which is why it was hard for you to get a diagnosis and get advice. And then the other one is always um, the active patients are the ones who seem to do the best. Like every end of a good story is like I went to twenty five doctors and no one appreciated them. This one person said, asked me a question I hadn't asked before about my neck or about my vision or about my you know whatever and found me therapy that got me better. And so I think the message to there is is as much as it stinks and as much as your life gets derailed, don't give up on trying to find treatments. They tie some things just take time, but also there are, you know, if you get to the right people who are testing all your domains to figure out there might be something that people haven't tested yet. Like the fact that your eyes aren't tracking the same way anymore and that's why you feel nauseous all the time or something that you can rehab out of that. 
I think that's great advice. Uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll be sure to link up all your resources in the show notes. Um, but while we're on the topic of uh, prevention, uh, let's talk about the Team Up Speak Up campaign that you guys have. And I know you started it last year. So can you yeah, talk about how that came about and what's, go, what's on the, on the sure. plate for this year? Yeah, so Team Up Speak Up um, – you know, came out of a couple different, as, as, you know, any good ideas, as many fathers and, and inspirations. But this one is, um, we have done a pretty good job of making sure that education uh, exists now for athletes. And now that I've been doing this for 10 years, you know, full time, I've noticed that, you know, all, with all the educating we're doing, it, that we aren't seeing that major shift in the data that athletes are taking themselves out every time they're concussed and it seems like every bad story with PCS starts with an athlete uh, not reporting uh, symptoms because they wanted to keep playing and not some excellent researchers have done work on this including Emily Crocious and Christine Baugh and lots of folks that have sort of taught us that you know what we have proven that we can teach people signs and symptoms but it doesn't change their behavior because as of now the pressures are too much to to stay in or, you know, people just don't appreciate when they're concussed because they're concussed. And so it's probably too much to ask if you want a perfect system of everyone coming off the field when they're concussed to ask athletes to self-identify every time. We also know that coaches don't see it. So the what, what the breakthrough with Team Up Speak Up is that um, we're actually uh, enabling teammates to help identify concussions on the field. Well, the weird thing is we used to do this, uh, engaging teammates in, in this help-seeking behavior is called bystander intervention, was a thing over 100 years ago. Buried in the 1905 diary of the hard football coach Bill Reed uh, is a speech that, that he proudly talks about the team doctor giving the team before the season that was apparently an annual thing where he said, if anyone gets hit in the head uh, – on the field, they don't know what's happening. Immediately call timeout and get me onto the field to see what's the trouble. That's so the crazy. Is that, yeah. <laughs> the doc said, "Yeah, yeah. Call timeout and let me examine someone if they don't know the place." And it's just like, whoa, because uh, I never heard that. And I go around, you know, speaking all, you know, all over the place. And I always ask my audiences when I'm teaching about team speak up, "Did you get this speech from your athlete?" And no one got this speech. And it's sort of wisdom lost to history. And so. We're trying to bring that back. Just the simple idea that if a coach, the leadership of the team, coach, doctor, captain, said to the team, "Look, we're a team. We look out for each other." And that, you know, if a teammate has a concussion, they actually need your help because they may not know they're hurt. And it's your job to speak up and you know, speak up if a teammate has a concussion or you think they do. And just making that the, the team policy and the team culture, um, that is probably the best way that we have to drive up concussion rates because teammates are honest with each other or you know, teammates are in the huddle and they see what other people don't see. So uh, we want to change teammates from when I played to, from hiding them to uh, actually speaking up and that have, have them be rewarded for it. They're not ratting anyone out. And that starts with every coach in America giving that speech to kick off the season this year. And so when we started this last year, uh, you know, we got 150 organizations sign up, some great national governing bodies like USA Hockey, USA Rugby, um, National Federation of High School Athletic Associations, the state of California High School Athletic Association. Um, so we're, our job now is to keep promoting this, you know, through our ambassadors, through the media, you know, people like Eric Lindros signing on. Um you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, some, some interesting folks, and get the word out that coaches need to do this and make this a thing that everyone does for all eternity. And I think that'll be great for changing the culture. 
Yeah, I think that's great. And, like, coaches are constantly preaching, like, play for the guy next to you, especially in football. And I think it's cool to kind of implement this, like, looking out for your teammate, you know, playing for the guy next to you and including that in, like, a health and safety, you know, injury prevention type way too because that's definitely something that didn't exist when I played either. No. Um, so do you think that the coach – it's most important that the coach embraces it or that the kids embrace it? I, you know, so there is research that says the number one reason why uh, athletes don't report is because they're they're worried what their coach will think and they're worried what their, their, their teammates will think. And that there's evidence that the coach is the one who really sets the culture and how he talks about concussions or how she talks about concussions. Some people are saying, you know, we don't get concussions, concussions are for the week. And other people say, you know, hey, I don't want you out there with a concussion. I want, you know, because you're going to hurt the team or, or, you know, beyond the fact that it's terrible for you. Um, and so I think it has to start with the coach, has to be endorsed by the coach. The coach has to be in the room. And then if you can pull the captain up to be a part of it, because that's who sort of sets social norms, um, that's your best bet. If, you, if you're lucky enough to have a doctor and trainer, have them there too. But everyone knows they're looking out for you. They really need to hear it from the coach and the captain. Uh, and you can sign up at teamupspeakup.org. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that, but I, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. So um, just as we kind of wind down the conversation, I'm going to ask you some more uh, personal questions. So what was your transition to life after football like, or life after sports, including the WWE? Uh, let me think. <laughs> so, you know, I had a regular job doing consulting for a firm called Trinity Partners that was uh, really interesting and challenging while I was going to wrestling school at night and then uh, got into that world and then got hurt and, you know, had to figure out what to do next. You know, I went back to Trinity and worked part time to pay the bills. But, uh, you know, then I felt stumbled on this and I thought, you know what, this is I, I always I never thought this would be a career. I was always hoping every every week in the first couple of years, like someone would come along who's clearly going to be better at this and more passionate about it. And. <laughs> And could take over, or like one of the doctors would want to like make this their thing. But you know, everyone, I guess you know, you sort of have to get. You know, sometimes you have to go through it to really have that passion, as you know. And so I just kept kept finding that this, you know, no one wanted to keep the ball going, so I had to do it because I believed in it. And so um, I just found a way to make this my job. And then you know, now we're older and more mature, and um, you know, I have a great team and a great organization that that helps me you know, I guess, make change more quickly and more powerfully. And, you know, very lucky to still continue to work with Dr. Cantu as our medical director. Cool. Do you have any advice for athletes transitioning to a life after sports? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting to see people talk about it and, you know, their sports experience. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, you know, sports can define you too much. And when it's gone, you feel like there's something empty. But you know, sports is supposed to be just a it's just, just building a skill set and, and and finding something you love to do and for me um yeah i tried to apply my lessons into a formal job why and i and i still was lucky to get actually fall into a pickup basketball league in boston that sort of became my new team of uh, like 50 guys that i got to hang out with on a regular basis and play sports with and socially so that you know fi finding that is I, from talking to more athletes is key, you know, find your new locker room, uh, with some sort of athletic activity, but then just, you know, understand that's, you know, you, you may look back at, you know, getting three hours in the field every day with your buddies was the best time, but that was really something of your youth. And if you got to do it longer, you got, you were lucky to get paid for it, but you know, you gotta, you gotta move on and <laughs> become a contributing member of society another way. And that's okay. That's just part of the 
maturation process. And so, um, I know transition can be tough and you feel hopeless, but you just got to dig it and grind and, and, and recreate yourself. Uh, find some, again, find something you want to do that you, you're passionate about and just put the same work ethic forward. Well, you've certainly been a good example of that. So that's a, a good role model for all the athletes transitioning out there. Um, and one final question, uh, what's your, uh, definition of toughness and how has that kind of changed over time because i remember i read somewhere that you said playing through injuries becomes your identity at some point in time and i know i was yeah. definitely i related to that you know uh, that's how i played football too uh, i thought that will that's what toughness was so i'm curious what your definition of toughness is now and maybe how, how that's different than what it used to be yeah i mean if you ask me right now not that i'm a big guy in giving definitions but i would say it's it's doing the right thing even when it's the hardest thing um, you know, you could apply that to anything, whether it's a concussion and actually sucking it up and taking yourself out or, you know, whether it's doing the ethical thing or the moral thing or, you know, but I think, I think, I think for me right now, it's all about doing the right thing and getting people to continue to do the right thing, even if it's, you know, hurts them financially, hurts them emotionally, you know, so you got to do the right thing. And that's what, that's what makes you tough. I, I ask that question almost everyone that comes on the podcast, and that was definitely one of my favorite answers I've ever gotten. So I, I, I appreciate that one. That was really good. Uh, all right, we'll trademark it. <laughs> uh, where can people find you on, like, social media and, and all that? So let's see. On the social medias, uh, Twitter, I'm at ChrisNowinski1, which I'm most active on. Uh, Facebook is Christopher Nowinski. Instagram is Christopher Nowinski. Um, and then, uh, you know, again, concussionfoundation.org, sign up for something, pledge your brain <laughs> on the website, get, get involved. And I'm a donor. Part of this, uh, and I appreciate that <laughs> and be part of this army that's going to you know, make sports safer. Well, Dr. Nowinski, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk about Team Up Speak Up and your own personal story. Um, and I'll going to post this up next week, right before Team Up Speak Up Day on uh, September 12th. No, Kevin, you're the man. You're you're an inspiration to all as well, and I appreciate you turning your passion to spreading the good word among your listeners because uh, it's a it's a message people need to hear. Thank you. Thanks, Chris.